Hello, and welcome to the Retech Podcast. My name is Stu Pringle, and I am your host. I'm on a mission to chat with interesting people who are doing good things in renewables and technology. Why does that matter? Well, without new thinking and innovation, as an industry, renewable energy production is not going to hit the lofty goals it has been set. In each podcast, I'll be chatting with people in the industry who are doing their bit to help drive change. And this time on the Retech Podcast, I'm pleased to introduce Harry King from EV Energy. Harry, hello. Hey, Stu. How are you doing? Good, Good, thank you. Thank you for joining um, today. Um, Harry, let's start with you. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and what you do? Absolutely. So, um, hello to everyone listening at home or wherever you are listening from. Um, I am working for a company called EV Energy, and what we do is smart charging for electric vehicles. Uh, what smart charging effectively is, is funneling the cleanest and the cheapest electrons into an electric vehicle, making the sense of ownership of EVs as easy for EV drivers as possible, whilst also making it as positive for their environment, but also as positive for the driver's pockets at the same time. What I do for EV Energy, I am on the growth team. So I spend a lot of my time trying to work out how can we connect drivers to technology that helps them extract the most value from their EV, whilst also reducing the carbon impact of their ownership. And whether that is through creating awesome new product features, or that is exploring fantastic partnerships with other brands looking to partner with EV drivers. That's what I suppose I spend most of my time doing. Excellent. Thank you, Harry. And you got in touch after listening to um, Felicity from Palooza on one of the previous um, podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I thought I thought that that podcast was really, really fantastic and it dove super deep into the world of V2G and V2X. Uh, for those listening for the first time, V2G and V2X is effectively this idea that we use electric vehicles as big batteries that not only can take energy from the grid, but also have the possibility to feed it back onto the grid. And what this will enable the UK and global energy systems to do is effectively eliminate the need for non-renewable fossil fuel-based energy as we can start to collect copious amounts of clean energy when it's available because we don't get to decide when it's windy and we don't get to decide when it's sunny. So when it is super windy and super sunny, we have all this surplus energy and we can use EV batteries to soak up this extra energy and then feed it back to the grid at times when people don't need it. So for instance, 9 p.m. when the telly's on, the, the kettle's boiling for a cup of tea, but no one's really out on the roads, but your EV is plugged in on the driveway. So you can start funneling that energy back into the grid to allow us to better use the clean energy that we collected throughout the day. Fantastic. Thank you, Harry. Okay, so now we know a little bit um, about yourself and um, EV energy um, and the context as to how you came to um, approach me to have a chat. Um, I'm interested to know a little bit more um, about the business. So you, you gave us that kind of initial introduction, um, but what sort of inspired it, it, its creation? How, how did it all come about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
EVs are not just this sort of really cool technology that we get to drive around and they go a bit faster and they are a bit quieter and they're, they're lower maintenance. They, they create a lot of problems. And I'm sure lots of the naysayers would agree in terms of where do you, where do you get all that battery material from them and how do you charge them? And they're not wrong, right? We would, we would have a massive challenge if in 2035, the UK is going to ban the sale of ISO, internal combustion engine vehicles. And if you have all of the vehicles on the UK roads suddenly becoming electric and everybody who broadly, we all do follow the same sort of behavioral patterns where you get home from work at sort of five, six o'clock, um, and everyone plugging their vehicle in at those times, it would completely collapse our energy grid. And there would be absolutely no way that we could ever transition to a fully renewable or carbon free, uh, energy system. And so really that inspired our creation as a business is how can we use these fantastic pieces of technology that are cool, they're awesome, they're brilliant to drive, but how can we use them for uh, improving the environment in which we are living in? Um, and so that's kind of where it came from and where that's evolved to is it's been a bit of a journey over the last five years. So we started off uh, pretty small as we started to build the, the technology that sort of runs the engine, so to speak, of this energy management platform. Um, and over that five years, we've really been building it so that it can sit across a variety of different touch points for consumers. So whether that is within the car connected to the vehicle, or whether that is connected to the charger. So this is the thing that's on your wall outside your house, um, which you can plug into, or whether that's through your utility company, they may have your energy provider may have a particular tariff or off-peak or dynamic pricing model that you are using as an energy consumer. And so how does our software help them to enable you as a consumer to more cheaply, more greenly charge your car, but also them to, to better funnel and use that surplus green energy that's coming onto the grid. Okay. Very good. So what EV energy does is a, is a software first approach. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, when we were, when we were looking at how the business wanted to, to grow is there was, it was very clear that hardware would always be a very, very important part of this overall energy revolution. And whilst that's really exciting, it's also very, very difficult to, to have an impact. And I think what we really want as a business is to, to, to have as much impact as we possibly can. And the best way for us to do that is to take this software only approach, which is fantastic because it enables us to really start to connect our software to all of the awesome pieces of hardware that are out there in the market. And what we sort of found is utility companies are, are sort of well-intended for the most part, but they are only really good at helping you have energy in your home. Similarly, vehicle manufacturers, they're good at making cars. They've had decades of experience doing so, but when it comes to creating technology that manages charging, this is, this is a world that they don't understand. And similarly, similarly, sorry, with, with charger manufacturers, they can create some awesome bits of technology, some awesome hardware that will help you capture your solar energy or put it into a battery or 
create the, the best cable possible for charging your vehicle, but in terms of how that energy flows and how it is managed in the context of your life, your daily habits, the other demands of energy on the household, no one was really doing that. So this is where we chose to invest all of our time. And what it's allowed us to do is be really, really flexible, really, really mobile, but also scale very, very quickly. So even in the last couple of years, the number of drivers using our platform has increased by tens and tens of thousands. So uh, we have hundreds of thousands of drivers all across the world using EV energy to charge their car uh, every single day. And what's great about that is some of them know they're using our software and they've chosen to use our software and some of them don't. It just, their car is charged. It's every, every time they get into it, it's charged in the way they want it to be charged. But in the background, there's some clever magic that's going on. They don't really understand how it works, but we're there supporting them on that journey, which I think is really, really cool. Interesting. So, um, I, I got a couple of questions on that. So you used the word all earlier, you know, all the different manufacturers and all the different plug points. Are, are you able to sit in between pretty much anyone? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, in terms of tariffs that we can connect to, I mean, there's last time I checked, there was over 27,000 different available tariffs in the UK, um, which we can connect to. And there's obviously not as many vehicles or charges, but it is an increasing market. And we have an entire team dedicated just to staying on top of all of these difficult, different and new vehicle and charger technologies that are coming onto the market. So in the early days, sort of three years ago, it was quite easy, sort of almost easy um, to stay on top of that because there was a new one every sort of six months or so. Whereas now it is a flood of hardware that's coming onto the market. So we are, we are doing our best to make sure that we, we can connect to um, anything uh, and everything. But there's also a sort of funny journey that the industry is going through in terms of it's a horrible expression but owning the consumer right um data is an incredibly valuable currency for all kinds of businesses and what we're starting to find is is perhaps people don't want to share that consumer they want to consolidate that consumer experience so we are adjusting and changing our products and our services and offerings to allow these businesses to continue to have a unified experience for that consumer whilst also having access to the technology that we offer so really really exciting times um, and so yes it's it's a bit of a mission to try and keep up with the rapid expansion of the market no i can imagine which leads me to my second question um which is uh, on on the subject of the consumer because you've come on today very eloquently articulated statement and why this is important and how it can work. Um, but we're sitting here having a proper in-depth chat with each other. Now you're on the growth team. You've got to engage the consumers, you know, at scale. How has that journey been in educating people, making them see them, making them understand? I mean, you made a point earlier that some don't even know about this magic in the background. So um, from a growth point of view, what's, what's that look like for you in terms of the communicating the proposition? Honestly, it's been... It's been incredibly interesting. And I think one of the things that I'm most attracted to in terms of working at a startup is this test and learn approach. It's okay to fail um, because if you're failing, you're learning. And then you take those learnings and you build on them and you move forward and you move faster. And that is 
just awesome. And I think if you were working in a in an industry like healthcare or banking, it's really, really exciting. But what makes it even more difficult but also exciting is we're doing all of this testing and learning in a shifting, changing and evolving landscape. And so I guess what I mean by that as an example is there is a familiar concept of this adoption curve where you have over time, the profile of people who adopt technology will change. So it starts with your super early adopters, your innovators, if you will. Um, then that moves to an early majority and then a late majority, which is where the bulk of people will take on these new technologies. And then you have your, your laggards at the very end who reluctantly will adopt this technology. And EV Energy is operating in a market where we are right at the very front of this adoption curve. We're in the innovators, we're in the early adopter phase. And so it's been a real challenge to isolate and distill the messaging that works for this particular segment. And no sooner have we done that, that the segment has moved on and we are out of the innovator stage and we're into the early, early adopter phase and already having finally nailed in the early adopter phase sort of messaging, we're now starting to shift to that early majority, which is a whole nother challenge in itself. So I guess going back to your question, it has been a real, real process to not only understand what we want to communicate, but also how we communicate to this ever-changing market. And so we very much started off with a very simple message, which was, well, we will just do what we say on the tin. It's cheaper, greener, and simpler EV charging, which was very, very effective in those early days. But as we move forward, we really had to evolve and tailor and change some of the messaging that we put out there to encourage drivers to, to adopt a better way of charging their vehicles. Interesting. See, now as a marketeer, this is where I get my geek on because I'm fascinated by this. Now, you mentioned faster, cheaper, and greener a moment ago. I'd like to dig into this a bit more because for the consumer, for all of us, you know, things, things are not easy right now. Cost of living crisis, all sorts of things happening. How much has that impacted um, how you're going to market with messaging? So in some ways it has, and in some ways it hasn't. And I think an example of how it has changed our messaging is around trust. And the reason I say this is because I think we all have a bit of a trust problem, whether that is with the supermarkets that we buy our food from, whether that is with the filling station that we, um, we, we fill up our, our petrol cars from it's, it's, it's a very dynamic and, and changing landscape. And unfortunately at EV Energy, we're very exposed to that. I mean, even the knock-on effect from a, a hardware perspective and a manufacturing perspective of COVID really has disrupted the EV industry with massive supply chain shortages, which meant people were promised cars in, in four to six weeks and ended up waiting months and months and months. And so we're super exposed and what we are asking a driver to do is at the end of this consumer purchase funnel, we're asking them to trust us to charge their car because 
we will say to them, okay, well, tell us what time you want your car ready for in the morning. And we promise that we will go out and find the cheapest and greenest energy for your car to be charged. So when you wake up, your car will be fully charged and you would have saved some carbon from the atmosphere and you would have saved yourself some money as well. And that's a bit of a challenge, right? How do you get people to trust you? You're a small, unknown brand. The consumers are already mistrusting of the whole energy and automotive and cost of living um, environment. And so we've had to work really hard and build out mechanisms to, to deliver that trust. And some of them are, are really simple, right? It's just creating incredibly compelling case studies, really getting into understanding our drivers and sharing those stories. Um, it is also about within the product surfacing that value. So once somebody trusts you for the first time, you need to show an evidence and convince them that this, they have made the right decision, right? And then it's incentivizing them to do the right thing in the first place. So we offer rewards um, for people who do allow us to, to smart charge their car. So if, uh, if they opt into smart charging, they can earn Amazon rewards or cash back on their energy bills. But then it also comes down to, to messaging, right? How can you position your product in a way that will allow somebody to go, do you know what? I will take a risk because I don't have anything to be up for tomorrow. It's a Sunday morning. Um, worst comes to worst. If the car's not charged by 9am, I can, I can still do a boost charge on it um, when I wake up and make it to you know the football or the rugby or whatever it is we're going to later on that afternoon. Um, and so crafting that message has been a bit of a bit of a journey, but I think it's really highlighted to us the importance of doing really, really in-depth user research. Okay, so, I mean, we use a variety of different research methods. We surveys, interviews, data analysis to really gain insights into those needs, motivations, and pain points of EV drivers and consumers. It's one thing to assume what you think your consumers might like, but actually very rarely do people really take the time to understand and ask <laughs> their, their, their customers, what is it that you actually want, or what is it that you're actually worried about? What we, what we do is through that engagement and feedback collection is we can then observe patterns and, and, and analyze those to understand preferences and challenges and also aspirations. What are these people reaching for? What are their goals? And that really enables us to develop a more user-centric solution that um, allows us to promote our product and the sustainable choices that these drivers are making. Um, and sort of inadvertently influence their, their green content uh, credentials as end consumers. Fascinating stuff. And from that research, has there been anything come back that you weren't expecting? Oh, has there been anything that, that's come back that you weren't expecting? I think you're always, you're always learning and I feel There's sort of two ways of looking at that, right? There's there's a way of looking at it in terms of the business, did the business expect it? Um, or did the business not expect it? But also on a personal level, did I expect it? Did I not expect it? And I think for a personal level, there's always things that are coming back that I'm just not expecting. I think most recently was having worked with an incredible team here at EV Energy who are super, super bright 
and we are working on all of this amazing V2G and V2X technology that is trying to solve problems for the energy system that are sort of 20, 30, 40 years away, that we forget that the idea of the kilowatt hour and the gigawatts are not concepts that we, that most consumers are, are familiar with. And going back to my point in terms of that adoption curve um, previously, it's only going to get more of a challenge to to shift and change your messaging um, to an audience that just fundamentally doesn't really understand how the energy system works and how you can quantify energy. Fuel has always sort of had the advantage of it's it's volumetric, right? You you can have a liter of fuel, you can have a gallon of fuel, you can't. And you can, you can see that, right? You have a reference of that, whether it's in the orange juice or the milk that you buy, but you can't do the same with energy. <laughs> it's very hard to provide that, that contexting, that grounding, um, or that knowledge benchmark for energy. So yeah, it's a, it's a real challenge. And I think one that's only going to get worse. Yeah. I mean, even just simply having a kilowatt rating and a kilowatt hour rating against a car are two different things. Really, it's, it's not as instantly accessible as the things that we've all known for many, many years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very, very hard to, to visualize. And I attended your, your retech event actually last week and you had, you had a speaker on a guy called Johnny, um, who was, who was fascinating and very, very passionate about, uh, the role the utilities and DNOs and DSOs play in the, in the energy market. And. Not entirely complimentary of them. Oh. Not, not entirely complimentary. He was quite clear on, on his views. <laughs> and I mean, to some extent, I do, I do broadly agree. The energy market does trade on a lack of information. And actually, we were having a very similar sort of discussion earlier this week uh, at work around, we all have energy bills. And I'm sure pretty much everybody listening could recall approximately what their energy cost last time they paid a bill. But could you recall how many kilowatt hours of energy you consumed in that billing period? And if you can, what's that equivalent to? How far could you drive on that? How many homes could you power? How many light bulbs would that light up? And we don't, we don't have this and, and the utility companies are really happy with this really happy. But you don't see the even just basic consumer education coming from any of the utility companies around what is a kilowatt hour. Interesting. Agreed. So appreciate your software, but you must, I'm guessing amongst the team discuss hardware. Do you have a view or what are your thoughts on um just the physical challenge for people who park in the street, people who live in flats, you know, don't have don't have a driveway, don't live in Surrey, don't have all the space. Well I, you mentioned earlier about, you know, twenty thirty five being the hard cutoff at the moment. Um realistically, in terms of that physical infrastructure, before we even get to the charging network, I'm just talking, you know, basic basic need here is it feasible 
Wow. Um, so just caveat my answer with this is like, this is all, these are obviously my views and absolutely. Um, it, and it is gonna be one hell of a challenge. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that it is going to be incredibly painful. And I am every single time. I see an EV on the road. I am so impossibly grateful for that person for taking that chance. Because the question that loads of people have around charging and range anxiety and will is there going to be a charge point? I we all have them when we are considering whether or not to, to move towards EVs. And these people have gone, yeah, do you know what? It's gonna suck. There are going to be things that don't work. But you know what? For whatever reason, whether they want to be seen in the coolest tech or they want to save money on the cost of fuel or they want to do the right thing for the environment, whatever it is, right? they've, they've taken a risk. And I'm really grateful for the risk, not least because it helps keep me employed, but also because by taking these risks, it exposes the, the flaws in the system and exposes the weak points in the infrastructure and that will then force and drive the adoption of new technologies and hardwares to allow the ultimate complete and full adoption of EVs into into mainstream life. Now EVs don't hold four of the keys. It will always be a blended technology. I think hydrogen has some very interesting applications and that can potentially really bridge the gap where sometimes batteries and electrification may fall short i think the technology that the companies are putting into clean clean fuel is is fascinating and i think will really allow a sort of segment of the automotive industry to to flourish and develop and continue to push innovation and i think the approach that lots of um authorities local authorities and, and regional authorities are taking to public transport and um personal mobility through the adoption of even just the, the, the scooters that we see running around bristol um or, or bikes in amsterdam like there is no one answer to this it is multifaceted however it is not yeah it is not going to be pain it's not going to be painless very good. I, I thought I would uh, throw that one in since we were. <laughs> and to be honest, I'm not really sure I answered your question completely, but I think I sort of no, broadly avoided it satisfactorily. I, I, I'll give you that. No, I think it's <laughs> fine. Well, finally, sort of, sort of looking ahead, what what is the what what are the trends we should be looking out for, Harry? What's what's coming around the corner? Oh. Goodness me. I mean, there's, there's a lot, um, there's a lot coming around the corner from lots of companies that I didn't even know about, but, um, I guess what we are starting to see is a real shift in how brands change their, their messaging to, from being very binary, very simple about buy this product is good for the environment. You should buy us over our competitors because we are the right thing for the environment. Um, to a world where that messaging is just lost, right? It's all, everything is just a sea of green and consumers just become increasingly expectant that every product that they buy from a brand that they trust has 
somebody has looked at it and, and made decisions that are the correct and the right ones for sustainability and environmental benefit. But I think there is a massive challenge where consumers will perhaps overweight the the significance, the environmental significance that these brands will actually have. And I think others will be very clever about introducing really creative ways of allowing consumers to have a better understanding of, of their home energy ecosystem. I mean, I love O-Power. Um, they do these brilliant energy efficiency reports. So O-Power are a company that, that do energy managing solutions and they, they have a really clever behavior-based approach to um, promoting energy conservation. And so what they've done is they partner with utility companies to basically send personalized home energy reports to companies, uh, sorry, to customers. Um, but what they do is they compare the, the user's energy usage um, to that of their neighbors. And so it wow. uses all these sort of concepts around social norms and, and competition to encourage that energy saving behavior. And I think these sorts of things are really clever ways that we can all create a better understanding of our home energy consumption. I mean, we do it all the time with the energy. We've got fantastic uh, solar charging feature, which allows users to charge their cars using the green energy off their solar panels. Um, and we could have led with have a zero cost charge or have a completely zero carbon charge. But I mean, referencing the testing that I was talking about earlier, we didn't, we, we, we tested it. We understood these users. We tried to drill down to what are their motivators. And we ended up uh, at this place where we realized that the reason these people do this is not to save money. It's not to do the right thing for the environment. These are all sort of secondary behaviors. If you sort of consider Maslow's hierarchy of needs, these are sort of further up that that sort of pyramid structure but actually what their driver was was this amazing feel good factor of being in their electric car knowing that they were traveling to the destination of their choice having a car that was powered entirely off their own solar energy generation from their home and that made them feel amazing and so that totally shifted how we positioned this um, and how we put it out there in the market and what was really lovely is we've We've seen a huge adoption of this based as soon as we started changing and shifting the messaging around solar EV charging. So I think brands in in general will get better at communicating their environmental messaging. I think they'll be more creative, it will be more subtle. But I think as consumers, we all have a job to do to sort of hold them accountable. If you're making a claim, then let's see the evidence, right? And and that's a whole separate conversation in terms of how do you not only evidence carbon impact um, at a benchmark level so that people are being compared equally and equitably, but also how do you educate consumers so that they can, similarly to energy, understand tons of carbon. What does that look like? What's the impact of that? So that's a whole other challenge. But ultimately, I think, and unfortunately, I think big oil will continue to win. They've they've had 50 plus years, right, of, of rebranding themselves and controlling the narrative around renewables and green energy. I mean, I was going to say they invented the term carbon footprint to shift the onus of um, making environmentally responsible decisions back onto us as consumers so that they could then continue to get away with the massive amounts of pollution that they were committing as uh, as through their oil refineries. I mean, 
the, the gas industry in the States came up with the expression cooking on gas because they didn't want people cooking on electric because it would erode their customer base. And, and so they've got all this experience in terms of shifting our perceptions of consumers. And they've got the power to have such impact through channels with much bigger reaches than we will, could ever dream of having in our, our startup. Um, and so ultimately it will sort of become a battle of above and below that's sort of from from the top and the bottom from the bottom i think consumers have a bit of responsibility to to educate themselves to if you've got an interest if you've got even just a little bit of understanding if you ask yourself a question you know what is a kilowatt there is so much information out there try and educate yourself try and learn a bit about how energy is generated how it is consumed and what are the different processes or players in the system um that we that we all have to live and operate in but i think it also come from the top and whilst i was obviously very dismissive of big oil and other sort of big companies um just now i think ultimately the decisions that businesses make are forever impacted by people's personal experiences it's we are humans, right? We, we're emotional beings and it, we cannot completely and definitively separate our emotional interests from a business interest. And we, we ultimately, we bring ourselves to work every day. And in the future, the people who are on the boards at companies like Shell, the people who are on the boards of companies like Tesco, the people who are in 10 Downing Street, they will be people who have grown up with a huge familiarity around the importance of making the right environmental decisions. And so when it comes to voting on whether or not you're granting ad additional oil, um, oil refineries or whether or not you're going to take one more environmentally damaging approach over the other, I think people will continue to bring themselves to work and as a generation of environmentally aware individuals rise up and become those people in charge that we will start to see a change. Hi, that was Sam answer. You've managed to touch on uh, marketing uh, foundations, philosophy, and global politics all in the space of about three minutes. So, <laughs> probably means it was a bit rubbish, but oh, well, <laughs> very much. Um, it sounds like you're enjoying being part of the EV energy journey. Very, very much so. It's it's incredibly exciting. And I think um, whilst we we are a small piece of, of this very large puzzle, there is there are so many fantastic businesses out there that are, are looking to to change the way that we all interact with energy in our homes and at our work. Um, and and solving problems that exist into the future. And so I'm, I'm super, I'm having so much fun at UD Energy, but I'm also always, always sort of saying to, to friends and family, um, that there is just so much opportunity out there. And if you, if you've got something that you're passionate about or something you're interested in, that there will be a business that needs to hire a person like you to, to help them solve the issues that, that are facing us all. Well, I feel like a good place to, 
to call time on today. Um, Harry, that's a, that's a really lovely thought. Um, I would like to thank you very, very much um, for giving up uh, your time. And I know that you've got a lot on um, at the moment. Um, I'd like to say thank you to the listeners for, for sticking with us on uh, getting this far in the session. I hope you've heard it today. Um, which just leaves me to say uh, we will be back with more Retech Podcasts soon. Um, Harry, where's the best place that we can find you? Are you on LinkedIn? On the website? Absolutely, yes. Brilliant. Um, either reach out to me on LinkedIn if there's any sort of questions or thoughts you want to explore, but if you're interested in EV Energy, then we have the best domain ever. It is www.ev.energy. Lovely stuff. Harry, thank you. Thank you, Steve.